Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. I'm Chip. I'm an alcoholic. Um, and I'm really glad to be here. The, uh, if you're not here in the audience and you're listening to this wherever, there's 3,000 people here attending the West, West Georgia Gratitude Weekend. And I'm glad y'all cut us a big check for coming. Any. I want to talk about something that's dear to my heart. When, uh, when this COVID stuff happened, it was, uh, it, it got very exciting as far as the differences of opinions of what's going on with electronic communications. And a lot of us were, were, uh, talking on Zoom and I had a dear friend of mine who has passed away with COVID, one of the recorders. We were, uh, we were speaking in Illinois and he says, I would really like for you to do a workshop based on the electronic. We were just, uh, I love talking to people about AA history. Not that I am a history, but I like talking to people that know about. I sit at their feet and just listen and absorb the things that they're talking about because I want to know where I came from. So he, so he asked me to, to put together this package. And, the, and so what I want to talk about, as it's, as it's read, when we talk about the 12 step, I like to break down the 12 step when it comes to four different items, right? Um, and the first one, of course, it says having had a spiritual awakening. The second portion says, as a result of these steps, it shows what you got, shows you how to get it. And then what are you supposed to do with it? On the third portion, it says we tried to carry this message to alcoholics, and then what are we supposed to do with what we've learned? We try to practice these principles in all our affairs. So for today, I want to try and talk about it. Bill says it on page 66. We turned back to the list where it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at all this stuff from an entirely different angle. So I want to try and concentrate on how we carry the message to the alcoholics, and in this case also Al-Anons, because we love doing this with a, both A. This is all one big family thing. Um, so all of us in this room are a part of AA history, whether we like it or not. Um, we look back to the, the last things that have happened to us in the last couple of years, and it's been an amazing transformation of what happened. And I used to just cringe when people would say, well, you know, if you got sober back in the 80s when I did, when AA was AA, and, uh, and what we tend to do, you know, the people in the 60s, well, if you got sober in the 60s when it was really AA, we kicked the legs out from the new people coming in going, gosh, wish you had the same chance we had. You ain't going to get the real stuff. This is the good old days. This is exactly where we're at right now. This is where we carry the message to the people. This is where we enjoy our sobriety. This is the good old days. Wherever you're at, a day at a time. And so I like to always talk about how we, uh, how we try to not disqualify people when they came in and tell them all about this, that they're a part of AA history, right? Um, so maybe we forgot, we talk about this, well, you know, AA has changed so much, we should, this not really, this, all this electronic stuff that's going on, it's really not AA, it's just like a temporary thing, it was to hold us over through COVID, and uh, now we need to get back to real AA. Eyeball to eyeball, kneecap to kneecap, face to face. That's the only thing that works. And we discount the people that are still out there on Zoom. 
We know a lot of people that got sober and serene on Zoom, never attended their very first meeting while we were, we were all under quarantine for these years and stuff. So we always like to try and, and tell them how much that they qualify. So here's my message that I learned. AA has thrived in the midst of that pandemic that we had, and, the, and now we're coming up with a fifth edition of the big book. And I know they're going to have some of this stuff in the fifth edition where it starts talking about into Zoom and uh, electronic meetings and stuff because it's already been in print. We just didn't realize it, right? So um, in the midst of all this chaos, I learned that AA has not changed. How we adapted and how we communicated started to change. But AA in its essence had, n- had not really changed. This is my experience. This is my experience. And everybody has their own experience, right? And this is not new. I want to tell you how I learned about how the communication thing has always been there. And if you've visited some of the places that we've been able to visit, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when I tell you about it, right? Matter of fact, AA has always started with electronic communication, right? If you've visited the Mayflower Motel and been to the phone booth, right, where Bill Wilson picked up the phone, Right? Here we go. A nickel in the slot when he tried to find a drunk to save his own life. Right? That, that handheld receiver that Angie and I got to pick up and have our photograph with was connected to this thing called a wire. An electronic wire. That went to a box. And from the box, it went to a telephone pole. And then it went to Lily Tomlin. Right? Lily Tomlin. If you're new, just hang with me. Right? She was plugging it in. You had to be there laughing. Right? Mm. Right? So we, we've morphed from that thing called an electronic telephone, right, to where Bill started, got hold of Reverend Tongue, Reverend Hunt, Tongue got hold of him, then Henry had a sideline, the kneecaps connected to the shin bone, the shin bone, it all happened. It started with a nickel in the, nickel in the slot and an electronic wire, right? Then we started doing things called handwritten letters. If you're new, hang with me. <laughs> it was a piece of paper and you had a pen in your hand and you wrote this communication to somebody and then you folded it up three ways and then you put it in the thing and you licked it, you stuck it and you put a le- uh, an address on it and you put this little thing on it, it's called a stamp and you put it in this great big box and it w- so now you've got AA members communicating with their AA sponsors with a lick and stick method of sending a message to them which worked really good until you hit World War II right? Big book printed in 1939, two years later, 1941, what happened? Pearl Harbor, we got struck with World War II, right? Now you got these sponsees that are over there across the pond. They're trying to get hold of their sponsor. And imagine how it went, right? You're sitting in a foxhole somewhere, and you got a resentment against the idiot next to you with his rifle. So what do you do? You get your notepad out, and you start writing your sponsor. And you fold it, and you stick it in this envelope. You give it to the postmaster. He walks through the trenches. You got this little muddy stamp on it. Two weeks later, your sponsor gets that letter in the United States and said, I'm resentful against the guy next to me in the foxhole, right? So what the sponsor do? Sponsor says, don't drink. Fold it up, put it back in the envelope, sends it back. So a month after you wrote that letter, you get this thing back. You open it up, and it says, don't drink. And you're like, over what? Over, over, I forgot what it was about, right? This is the communication error that we were dealing with, but yet it was classified as, as modern communication, right? Our meeting in print that we came out with. Everybody knows the AA Grapevine. AA Grapevine is classified as our meeting in print. It was created by six AA members in the New York area with the blessing of Bill Wilson, and they published the very first issue in 1944 while we were still in the middle of World War II. We also had this thing a lot of people don't talk about anymore. It was called Loners International. Loners International was our very first pen pal meeting 
for AA people that were stranded out there in Quonset huts in the middle of the jungle somewhere. Somebody would run them a, run them a letter and they would, you know, a month later they would get it and people were communicating by pen pal back and forth to these loners that didn't have any way, any way shape possible to get to an AA meeting, right? Remote locations around the world. Their very first bulletin was printed in 1949. They were the very first click, right? That was doing this thing back and forth. They were like their own little groupies, right? They started recording our conferences back in the day. If you've ever listened to Bill Wilson on tape, it was recorded with reel-to-reel tape. Yeah, you could hear him in the, in the, uh, in the L.A. auditorium, in Anaheim, the Anaheim Coliseum, and the old propeller aircraft are flying around going, and Bill Wilson's taping. And you can imagine him going, what the hell is going on down there? And they didn't realize that it was our conventions that were going on. They had these great big reel-to-reel things. Now imagine trying to walk around with those things and listen. You're not going to be able to do that, right? It was a different method of recording because they had an electronic microphone like this going to an electronic recorder that was putting it on tape so that you would be able to listen to it somewhere else if you had a great big reel-to-reel player. During the Korean War, right, 1950 until 1953, letters again were the only means of communication Right? Unless you could indelve in electronic communications, and it was called a Mars radio. A Mars radio was an electronic method of communication. I was in Cuba, right? So the only way you could talk to people in the States when my dad got stationed in Cuba in the 60s was you would go to the Mars station, and the guy would hand you a microphone with a button on it connected to a wire, and you would call back to the United States and go, hello, over yeah. And then this noise would come back out of an electronic speaker, and it would go, hey there, over. And it, you had to get it lined up and synced up between the clicks and the non-clicks so that you could listen to an entire conversation electronically. This is how people were communicating during the war back and forth. They'd go to the Mars radio station with a huge antenna. Sometimes they were mounted on a Jeep, right? And that's how they, the sponsee and the sponsor were communicating back and forth. So in the 60s, they began recording, now we're getting in my age, they're beginning recording our conferences with eight-track tapes. Remember those puppies? Woo! Yeah. Eight-track tape. Put them in. You got, you got two in your glove box, and that was it. Then they were slamming, right? <laughs> now people could pop one in their vehicle if you had an eight-track player in your vehicle, and you could listen to AA speaker tapes because we had recorders that were recording all these conferences all this time, right? And you could drive around and listen to the AA message. This was electronic because it was a 12-volt battery that was powering electronically, low voltage, right? Or at home if you had an 8-track player right. and your great big console stereo, right? Remember to lift the lid? You had a phonograph or 8-track. Get down in there, right? During the Vietnam War, from 1955 to 1975, they're back writing letters back and forth from the battlefield, waiting for weeks for delivery to hear the message from the sponsor, right? Late 1960s, there started happening this new type of communication, right? And it was up and coming, but it was only used by big businesses and by the military. And this is this weird thing. It was called electronic mail. We're like, that ain't never going to fly. We're licking sick. It ain't never going to fly. No. So in this, we had this new thing now. All the military was starting to dwell on this thing called electronic mail. In the 70s, the 8-track recordings were being replaced with the ever-popular cassette tape and pencil. Remember what the pencil was for? Oh, yeah. Rewind the tape when you stretched it too far. Norm Alpey, right? I listened to Norm Alpey 50 times. The tape stripped, so you got to rewind it with a pencil. Anyhow. 
So now you can now you can really you can stack ten of those in your glove box. I counted because I did it right. Stack ten in there, right? I got sober in '87, so I'm like a cassette tape dude. In the early 1980s, pagers. Remember that Radio Shack, Tandy Radio Shack. 1980, hang with me, Will. We're gonna get to your birthday pretty soon. <laughs> Me and Andrew are going to adopt you, but we got to have full at the beach, right? In the 1980s, the pagers became popular, and if your sponsor had a pager, he could give you a number to call, but only during emergencies. Remember that? You're sitting in a meeting, and you hear this noise. And the super sponsor comes out. My man needs me. And you got to go to a payphone, put that dime in there, not the dime, Dial your sponsor and say, boy, I hope it's an emergency, but I look good leaving the meeting. If you were super sponsor, you got the deluxe model. It had two different tones to it. So you had a phone number for this tone, and then your other sponsee had a phone number for that tone. By the sound of the tone, you would know which of your sponsees was calling in the emergency. You'd know exactly where that dime. You don't want to waste the dime. It's got to go to the right person one shot, right? That's how we did it. In the early 1980s, cell phones became public. If you remember going to Disney World in the 1980s and some idiot had this great big luggage strapped on with a huge strap across his shoulder and this coiled up retractable cord, you know he wasn't talking to nobody. He was just looking good, you know. It was the alcoholic because of the ego thinking people need to know I've got a cellular phone. $4,000. $4,000, right? It weighed two and a half pounds. Late 1980s, cell phones became widely affordable, and sponsees and sponsors were communicating differently, wirelessly. Now we're into wireless communication between a sponsor and a sponsee. It's still electronic. It's still electronic. During the Gulf War on August the 2nd, 1990, until February 1991, we began using this new technology called electronic mail because it was becoming worldwide, and now people could communicate instantly with other people in recovery programs, not just the wartime. Everybody started being able to communicate this way, right? You had the Internet. You had AA. You had communications. It was going worldwide everywhere. During the 1990s, cassettes were being replaced by a disc called a CD, right? Again, easier to store and super fast recordings and duplications. Remember my sponsor, uh, Jerry, would have those, the, what do you call them, the duplicators, right? He'd strike uh, 12 CDs in there, and he'd just slamming and jamming, trying to label them up, pull them out, and you ask your sponsor a question. He's like, shut up. <laughs> you wipe out his whole concentration. He's like, how many of those was, oh, my God, I forget. So anyway, you never ask your sponsor a question when he's doing the cassette tapes, right, or the CDs. Late 1990s, here's where it starts flying. Technology is beginning to fly as more people are learning and getting trained electronically, including people in Alcoholics Anonymous. Late 1990s, Internet internet use grew from 55 million users in 1997 to 400 million in 1999. That fast. It is just blown wide open. And AA is adapting every moment, and ain't nobody screaming about what's this electronic communication. It happened so slowly, we never even noticed it happening from the very beginning. 1992, the first smartphone came out and allowed faxes on your phone. 
and the technology kept growing, and AA was growing right with it in 1994. The first, and I remember this, the first phone-to-phone texting was available. Remember that? But only if you were on the same phone service. Can you imagine the controversy? AA, AA widely recommends Verizon. Oops, sorry. Or IT&T. Depends on how much they're in the in 1998, Google. Remember when it came out with this word Google? Like, what the, how do you want to name Google? Google, right? And you could research all of AA history and literature and all the meetings that you want, and you could instantly get answers from Google, right? Why? Because now you can check to see if your sponsors were lying to you or not, right? <laughs> Did he really read what he told me he just quoted? Yeah. Because you could Google it going, is that what? Oh, all right, page 52, you got it, sponsor, right? By the year 2000, the sponsees were able to FaceTime with their sponsors. We got iPads, and we're sending emails right off of the phone now. So if you think about it, how did your God and your recovery start morphing with all this stuff that goes on? I want to show you how my God came into action during this period of time, right? Just remember that 19 years before COVID, and I know the exact date. It was the 10th of March, 2020, because I was in the cardiac unit, right? The 10th of March, 2020, I had my uh, my open-heart surgery the 11th of March. No, the 9th of March, I had surgery 10th of March. They claimed COVID as a pandemic. So where was God and all this stuff that happened? My God, right? 19 years before that COVID, AA had the foresight to put the forward to the fourth edition. They came out with the fourth edition in 2001, just before 9-11, right? And here's what it says. While our literature has preserved the integrity of the AA message, sweeping changes in our society as a whole are reflected in the new customs and the practices within the fellowship. Not different. The new customs and the practices within the fellowship. Taking advantage of technological advances, for example, AA members with computers can participate in meetings online, sharing with fellow alcoholics across the country and around the world. This is 19 years before COVID. In any meeting, anywhere, AA share experience, strength, and hope with each other in order to stay sober and help other alcoholics. And here's where it came out. Modem to modem or face to face, AAs speak the language of the heart in all of its power and simplicity. And nobody had the foresight to know what was going to happen 19 years later. But who went to the Atlanta Convention in 2015? What was the theme of the Atlanta Convention? It was anonymity in the digital age. So now we're all sitting there. There's 69,000 of us sitting there. We can see Amanda holding a yellow sign up there on a picture right there. I'm I'm in the nosebleed section in 95 in San Diego. Anyhow, right? So our sobriety wasn't changing. Our methods of communication were September 11th, everything that we knew changed. The world stopped. Right? We encountered, but if we didn't have this electronic communication, people were all of a sudden trying to text, call, people that were in the tower, trying to find out what was happening. If everything is just being lit up and blown out, right? Thumb drives were now being invented, right? And people started uh, storing multiple AA talks on one little device that could plug into the computer, and you could save them onto your drive, and you could get multiple conventions and conventions on one little thumb drive. From then, FaceTime had developed in March 
2011, or 2011, and now our AAs in other parts of the world were working the steps by electronic means, and then conflicts with the traditions, especially anonymity, came into play. Now it's when it's starting to come into play. Social media was a, is what and still is a huge area of concern. And guess what? 2015, that was the theme. Anonymity in the digital age, including social media, right? Who knew that five years later, the lessons learned on our 80th birthday party in Atlanta were going to be put in practice in 2020 when the COVID pandemic hit? Here's how my God came in. How did we get Zoom? Did anybody know what Zoom was before COVID? No. I'm not a big military. I'm retired military, but I never used Zoom before. I didn't even, I could barely even spell electronic mail much use. I retired in 93, so I had just learned what an electronic mail thing was, right? So, one year before COVID, the guy that designed Zoom was a Chinese immigrant, gave it away. Okay. Said it's yours for fun and for free. Unless you want to use it for more than an hour, or if you want a huge, large room, you can pay a monthly subscription. But for people that just want to Zoom, it's yours for free. Had no idea COVID was about to hit, right? An immigrant that was, a lot of people were screaming and yelling. That's political, isn't it? Anyhow. (laughs) Gave it to us. So can you imagine what it's like to be, we talked about the general service office and the the world service office for Al-Anon. We have been to the general service office in New York. If you haven't been there, schedule a trip. It's fun and for free. You go to a meeting on Friday. You get to go to the podium at the GSO World. Mm. And they got a huge buffet in the back of the room. Anyhow. <laughs> for free. Fun and for free, right? Imagine what was going on on the 11th floor at 475 Riverside Drive in New York City. These people were busy getting Detroit ready for us. And all this stuff is starting to blow wide open. People are making all these phone calls. What the heck is this Zoom crap going on? We're there violating traditions. There's people's faces on TV screens. It's going crazy. You know, they're still trying to figure out, oh, my God, what do we do about Detroit? Detroit is coming up in June. What are we going to do about Detroit, right? Nobody knew what was happening. Detroit was already set up. All the agencies, all the hotels, all the facilities, everything was all ready to go. They were starting to do the reservations for all the hotels, for all the people, and all of a sudden, Boom, quarantine hits, right? So now they take these people that are in the 11th floor, which is all AA, general service office, and they send them home on quarantine with a laptop. Now you can do all you got to do on a laptop, right? In the meantime, they're still answering 200 calls a week from the prison industry or the prison, uh, what do you call it, the CPI, CPI? Corrections and, and, yeah. Corrections Institutions Committee, and they're still wanting big books to be sent out, and he's got, they're still trying to answer all these letters. They're trying to deal with Detroit. They're trying to deal with all these people screaming and yelling them. What about the Zoom crap? It's violating the tradition. Then you got the other mantra of people that are the forecasters of doom, and they're going, it's going to be shut down. I want a refund right now. Give me my refund. It just got, we met the people up there. They gave us a beautiful, they're wonderful servants of ours, and they're a lot of fun people. And they were being just bombarded with all this stuff. And then they, you know, all the controversy that was going on about the loss of the original manuscript. And just, they're just being browbeaten to death. They didn't have a thing to do with it. I got to put my finger, I was telling Eric, I got my finger one-eighth of an inch away from that original manuscript. Because it was behind a glass case <laughs> to protect it. I had a glass cutter in my pocket. <laughs> Not it. 
So we were in lockdown. They were in lockdown operating from home, answering thousands of questions. They're still sending out literature, information, helping with traditions through the digital Zoom age, responding to 200 letters a week from the requests from the correctional facilities, and still trying to figure out about the 85th convention, the international convention. Is it going to happen or is it not going to happen? Thank God for these people. Right? So they're responding to all the group questions. What do we do about our seventh tradition? Where do we send our money now? We got a whole pocket full of money, right? People are still meeting. They're not supposed to meet together, but they're, they're, they're concocting their own, you know, each group is autonomous. They can set their own rules. Some of them are meeting with masks. Some of them are meeting without masks. Some of them are meeting, we, uh, we went to meetings where they sat out in the parking lot with chairs faced six feet apart from each other in open air and still have because we craved, we craved the fellowship and, uh, and so we were doing everything that we could to do that. So what do we do with the seventh tradition, right? Meanwhile, the prudent reserves of Alcoholics Anonymous is starting to dwindle down because the money is not coming in. The operating expenses are still there. They don't stop your rent because you got COVID. You still got to pay your house payment, your mortgage payment, and AA's got to pay their dues. And that's the way it was, right? When the decision came, immediately people were starting to barrage them with refund requests. They're trying to contact all the support industries, right? They're doing all this electronically. Why, why are we all part of AA history? Who went to the, who went to the 85th International Convention of Alcoholics Anonymous online? They had a thousand seats in the room. So when you're trying to sign on to the Zoom meeting, you had to wait in the waiting room. And when somebody left the room, boom, you slipped, your number slipped up. And that's how you went to the International Convention. The 85th International Convention, right? So then we had the very first ever Founders Day at Dr. Bob's house. We have friends that, that are one of the cure that are on the board for Dr. Bob's house. They went up there and they set up all the cameras and people with masks on went and did tours of Dr. Bob's house with cameras following them. So we all got to do Founders Day electronically on a Zoom meeting. A thousand people in the room. That's all you could do is max out a thousand. And as your number came up, you got to watch the tour wherever it was at and talk to the people, right? So how did it affect me on a personal level, right? I was 31 years sober. I had four major surgeries. I had both carotid arteries taken out, uh, fixed, put back in, both shoulders redone, and then I had the massive heart attack, right, in the midst of all this COVID stuff. So how did all this stuff affect me? They took, she took me in the emergency room on the 3rd of March. They pumped me full of nitro for six days on the 9th of March. They did the surgery on the 10th of March. COVID was claimed as a pandemic. I'm in the cardiac unit the day after a quadruple. How did it affect me? During this period of time, my home group got hold of one of my new guys, right? Or one of the new guys in the group and said, go figure out what this Zoom crap is. One of the old guys is up in the hospital. He ain't getting out for a while. Like, forecasters of doom, right? <laughs> so he went and found out what Zoom was. And when I came to, they were sitting in the room. They hadn't gone through a maximum quarantine to throw everybody out of the hospital yet. And they had, I had a laptop. I had an IV and I was pumped full of Dilaudid. I'm the, woo. <laughs> Am I allowed? To, I can mention that. It's my story, right? So I was pumped. I got my body stapled together. I'm got Dilaudid, right? And they said, I, look, I said, oh, my God, my home group, you know, and everything's like, woo. I'm like, I had never seen a Zoom meeting, right? And I'm like, oh, dude, right? <laughs> and they said, Chip, you can watch 
And listen, but do not share. <laughs> That's why they have a mute button for me, right? <laughs> do not share, man. You're loaded. And I'm like, I was quarantined behind closed doors for one year. There was no way I was making the meeting. The only time I left that house was when she took me out, <clears throat> hermetically sealed, put me in a car and drove me around so I could see the sunshine. For even the nurses coming in, I had no contact with AA except Zoom. And I was 32 years sober now, and I'm like, what? I was blown away. I didn't know what to do. And I think, you know, I'm looking through my own experience of what's happening with Zoom. And all of a sudden they're saying, would you, would you, uh, would you like to talk at a Zoom meeting? And I'm like, <laughs> I stapled together here, and I have a spirometer. Anybody ever use a spirometer? Yeah. You have to exercise. You have to blow everything out of your lungs for them to work, or you will get pneumonia and die, right? I said, I don't know. They said, well, carry it with you to the microphone. So I'm doing, hello. <laughs> and a couple minutes into it, I'm like, wait a minute. They go off camera. And they heard all that. I forgot to mute, right? So this is how we were starting to adapt. We were doing everything that we could so that we could be able to attend and do anything that they asked us to do, right? So because of this new method, right, that we tried to carry this message to the alcoholics, I had hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people being able to carry the message to me because I had a laptop with a Zoom meeting on it. We were going all over the world. We were Zooming in Ireland. We were Zooming in England. We were in Kablekistan, Russia, you know, where you would do your talk, and they, you would give a sentence, and then the interpreter would say something, and then it would, okay, and then you give another sentence, and the interpreter would say something, and you had all these people on the screen, you know, and it, it was amazing. And I'm like... This is AA at its finest. We don't, you know, we don't stay down. We get up and we move quickly. We adapt, right? So we're still able to go to meetings, still able to go to Founders Day, still able to do the, how many people did, how many people went to Clancy's Memorial? All these people, these great giants that we lost during COVID with COVID. We were able to go to memorials for these people. We were able to, what I saw and what my wife saw during COVID was that all the old timers that we loved, that we never thought we would see speak from a podium again because of their illness or their arthritis or their age. We're now sitting. I got to watch my old great-grand sponsor, Johnny H. You know, Karen would push him up in front of the camera, and she'd get him strategically located, and she said, okay, go. <laughs> and Johnny would sit there and give his talk. You know, these were people that couldn't travel anymore. He couldn't travel because his back was so bad, except local, right? And Mary Pearl couldn't travel anymore, except local. Uh, Liz B., 69 years sober, could not go to meetings anymore. But we all sat there and watched her at meetings every single day. She was still giving her talks at meetings. All this stuff, I started I started having a look at the, the half-full glass and try to talk to my guys about what they were yelling about the half-empty glass. Because I started seeing things from a personal aspect where I was, for one year, being able to sit there and participate in meetings I never would have been able to, right? So what do we do after all these different meetings? Now we're all going back to face-to-face meetings. We're starting to blend into it. we got face-to-face meetings. we got hybrid meetings going on. There are some hybrid meetings I love going to, right? If you all know Polly P., she's a, a friend of ours. She has a, this hybrid meeting that she does in Jacksonville. Her husband, Dave, just passed away, right? We get to see her every Monday night on the West Connect meeting. When you go sit in the West Connect meeting in Jacksonville, you sit in the audience, and there's a huge seven-foot TV up there, and that's all the Zoomers. And they have one camera that's pointed to the microphone, to the podium, and the other camera is pointed to the audience. So everybody is completely immersed with each other. 
the true way of doing a hybrid meeting. And when one of the people on the TV screens raise their hand, they get to speak. And it, it, it's, it's an amazing function where people, and people from all over the world are going to these type of hybrid meetings and stuff, right? Now we have streaming AA talks that people take their time and their effort to put these streaming things on the Internet where people can start listening to messages. You heard Becky talk about, you know, Sandy. You heard Angie talk about Sandy. Uh, uh, all these different messages and stuff. It takes me back to when I got to see uh, Sandy at one of his last, the very last talks at Sandy Beach Gate, when, uh, when Conway, his, his uh, granddaughter, pushed him up in a wheelchair up to the microphone in Orlando. And it was a, it was a Woodstock of the South. They were holding it in Orlando, and Sandy got up there, and he said, you know, I'm supposed to talk about the 11th step. But as you know, things are getting short. He said, and I want to talk to you about this word that's been going on in my mind. And we're all, you could hear a pin drop. A thousand people sitting in there. He said, I want to talk to you about the word immortality. And we're like, what the hell has he been taking? <laughs> and he described it so perfectly. He said, how many of us listen to tapes of Chuck Chamberlain, of Bill Wilson, of Dr. Bob, and all? These people are immortal. And this is how we keep their memories live. But we keep talking about, and he went to this whole one hour liturgy. There wasn't a dry eye in the whole place. We were all just sitting there bawling, you know. And I didn't realize that that was going to be the last time I got to see him, you know, about all the different conventions that we've been able to see him at, right? We lost a lot of friends and a lot of members during this thing. A lot of people quit, and I'm not talking about the people that you always see at conferences. I'm talking about people in our home group. They always told me, whenever I think that this is not a deadly, insidious disease, how many people here got sober in 1987? See? There were thousands and thousands of us got sober in 1987. Where are the people from your home group? Where are the people from your classmates that got sober with you? They're not all dead. They're not all drunk. A lot of them just faded away saying, is that all there is? But what I saw in my 35 years, 7 months, and 2 days, is that a lot of them just didn't come back after COVID. I know I know friends of mine that got really comfortable on that couch, right? And I start thinking about this thing about the 12th step, right? We talk about the good old days of AA and stuff like that. And I started thinking, I believe, I believe that each one of us is assigned a job by my God. I'm assigned a job to try to reach one person at one moment in time. When the turning point is there, you never know what the turning point is, right? Just be prepared. Be vigilant. And I started watching these old-timers that used to sit next to me in my home group. They're not coming back. They're sitting there, and whether they're going on Zoom or they were fighting Zoom and didn't want to do anything to do with it. And I thought, when we talk about the 12th step and it talks about carrying the message to the alcoholic, it doesn't say to the newcomer alcoholic. It says to the alcoholic. And I started looking, and I know that the guy that was my sponsor for 28 years did not like Zoom because he did not like technology. You know, he kept a flip phone. I'm going to give him a 57-year medallion in September. But he kept a flip phone until a couple of years ago. We're like, dude, you got to upgrade. We're trying to send him a text, you know. <laughs> well, so my deal was, how do we get these people back? Maybe, maybe my challenge to myself was, yes, pay attention to the newcomers. There's a, there's a cadre in my home group at Busters for Sobriety. There's a big table of us with over 30 years. There's a whole bunch of people. And they put us by the front door so everybody's got to come past us. We can't all stand up for a long period of time because of different conditions, right? But they got to come past us. If you got to pee, you got to come past us, right? 
And that's when we get them. Hey, come here for a minute. And we give them a little bit of love. But the, all those people didn't come back. So maybe what my, my calling was is go get them. How did I get sober? It wasn't because I just tiptoed into a meeting. I had people come and get me, right? So I, I remember the sound of the tires on a gravel driveway when they're coming up the driveway and you go, oh, God, another meeting. You know, I went the last four nights in a row. When's enough enough, you know? And what, what was the magic scenario that they gave us? They came knocking at the door. You open the door and they go, would you get in the truck? I'd like for you to go to a meeting. And I'm like, oh, man, another meeting. Tell the family goodbye. And I'm like, yes, I don't have to deal with them for an hour. Right? you got to make it look good when you leave. Like, I really don't want to go. The little bandits, you know. Um, so I thought maybe my deal is to go knock on their door or to go call them up and go, man, we have been missing you. You would not believe what's happening in the old home group. How about if I come over to your house and pick you up and we go to a meeting? And somehow or another, try to let them know how much they're missed. Because the alcoholic torture is loneliness. And we can loneliness our way right into the bar and listen to the tinkling of the glass in the smoky atmosphere. Not anymore smoky atmosphere. Well, oh, well, go outside today. Right? And the joyous laughter inside. And that can be a replacement for what we used to get. So my thought is, if I've got, you know, if my, if Johnny, Johnny Harris always says it, right? If this sobriety is my gift from God, what I do with the sobriety back is my gift back to God. So why don't I get active and go try to find these people that never came back and just try to invite them? It's, you can do it over the phone, but somehow or another, that knock on the front door is always intimidating. You're like, you don't want to turn them down when they're sitting there face to face. You give them that frown, like, really? You know, you practice it in the mirror first. So... Let me have a final thought. Oh, I want to read you what Bill Wilson said about it. The final thought about the 12th step and the carrying of the message and the technology that we're using nowadays, right? So, Bill Wilson says on page 563 of the big book, we must work together and hang together, else most of us will finally die alone, right? And for us, COVID or no COVID, the answers had to come. And it's people that did all the ditch digging that made all the meetings happen. And they kept promoting the meetings. And please come to the meetings. We want to see you in the room. It will all be over pretty soon. And we'll ride through the storm and stuff like that. Kept everybody going, right? Now, the forgotten part of the 12th step. Here we go. In closing, this is what Bill Wilson says as Bill sees it. Wider understanding on page 255. Nothing matters more to AA's future welfare than the manner in which we use the colossus of modern communication. Used unselfishly and well, it can produce results surpassing our present imagination, which it did. Should we handle this great instrument badly, we shall be shattered by the ego manifestations of our own people. Against this peril, AA members, anonymity before the general public is our shield. And our buckler, the grapevine, 1960. And Bill Wilson had no idea what was going to happen decades later. But So thank you all for this. I appreciate you all coming to the workshop.
Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.